Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. In this series, The Church, an Ancient Future, we are casting vision for a future church that will be relevant in a changing culture by learning ancient truths from the early days of Christianity. For more information about Abundant Life, or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be at this morning. And my name is Chad. I'm so excited that you made the decision to get here this morning. I don't know what you had to do to go through in order to make church happened this morning, but I know that you've at least had one of those Sundays where it seemed like all the forces of hell were against you getting to church, right? You woke up and it just seemed like it was not going to happen, but you overcame. Well, I had one of these days about three months ago. Uh, we were getting ready, and, and we go to the 8 a.m. service with my crew, and, and if, if we're just now meeting, I've got one wife, and I have three little girls, so I live in, I'm a minority in a sorority, it's a household of girls, and, and so I get up before everybody else, and, and I'm, I'm getting myself ready, and then I go to turn the shower off, and the, the handle just starts spinning, <laughs> and the water won't turn off, and so I'm like, okay, something's broke within this valve thing, and, and so I go down in the basement, probably like what you would do, and, and you just cut the water off to the whole house. And then I start telling my wife, I'm like, hey, something's wrong with the, the plumbing, and I had to cut the water off to the whole house. And she's like, well, what, 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 what do you get? What are we going to do? You know? I'm like, you're going to get ready without any water. You know? And that sounds simple in my mind. Um, <laughs> but those of y'all that have lived with a, a woman or if you had daughters, you just understand that women need water to get ready, all right? And my wife, apparently she's never, you know, not missed a bill, and so she, she's never not had water. And I'm, she's like, well, can, it, can we flush the toilet? I'm like, you get one flush. You better make a count, you know? And uh, anyway, we go through all the, the drama, and then, and then, you know, we do what maybe some of y'all done this morning, and it's like, if you only understood what we had to go through this morning, you know? But you stay face, right? And so, like, by the time we reach the doors at Abundant Life, like, hey, good morning, welcome to church. We're like, oh, so great, I'm so glad to be here, you know? And, and just put on the face, and they don't know that our breath stinks and that everything else is just not ready and all this stuff, you know? And you've probably been there before. And the problem was that there was this one little part in the shower, and, and, and it broke. And because that part quit serving its purpose, uh, the whole household was affected. And you think about all the parts in a household, and, and all the things that, that come together in order to make the household function properly. And, and when this one little part wasn't serving its purpose, it affected the flow to the whole household, y'all. And there was stress, and it was, cr- it, was, it was crazy that morning. And I had to go to Lowe's and fix it and because we were having company over after church. And so I'm teaching a deal, and then I'm running to Lowe's and fixing the thing and do all the stuff. And all because this one little part wasn't serving its purpose. And I start there this morning because we are called the household of God. And the household of God is made up of many parts. But, but a lot of us have come in here this morning and you really don't know what your purpose is or you're just not serving your purpose. And what's true in your own household when a part doesn't serve its purpose is true in the household of God when a person doesn't serve its purpose and he doesn't or she doesn't know her role, it affects the whole household of God. And maybe you've come in here and there's, maybe, maybe there's several reasons why if you're here not really serving your purpose in the church, there, there may be several reasons, but maybe they fall into a few of these categories. Like one is maybe you're just ignorant, like you don't know your role. 
Maybe you just started following Christ and you're like, man, I, I, I don't know what my, what my purpose is. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my part to play in the household of God really is. And listen, it's okay to discover that. God wants you to discover what your gift is and what your part is to play. And so maybe you're here and that's you, or maybe you're here and, and you're not ignorant, you're just stagnant. And so many times there's, there's been experiences in my life where there was a season in my life where I was using my gifts for the kingdom of God. I knew my purpose. I was serving my part. I was serving my purpose. I knew my part to play in the household of God. And, but then because of a transition of like, you know, getting married or, or having kids or just maybe getting hurt, like I just got stagnant. And what will happen, what I've seen in churches is that we'll get into this place of stagnation and we'll slip into this American consumerism where we just kind of go consume spiritual content, but we never make a contribution. And so we're consumers in our stagnation, but we're not contributors, kind of like the teenager at Thanksgiving. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like brother didn't help cook a pie at all, but he ate the whole pie, right? Like do a dish or something, help us out next week, okay, teenagers? I'm gonna eat all the turkey and not, not wash a fork. Come on now. And a lot of us, that's kind of our spiritual life. We just, con we, we consume, but we don't contribute because we're stagnant. Or maybe, it, maybe you're discouraged, and you've been serving, you've been trying to use your gifts, but you just, I mean, you've never really had anybody say, hey, you're gifted at that. Thank you for doing this. And you're discouraged because of just uh, maybe an insecurity that you really can't put your finger on, and you're just like, man, am I gifted or good at anything? Or maybe there's some sin in your life where you're like, God could never use me because of this, and you've disqualified yourself, and you're discouraged. Or there's this pervasive thing that I've seen take place in the American church where we sort of, we sort of abdicate our spiritual uh, role. We, we, we abdicate our ministry to the professionals. Like there's this age of professionalism in our culture where if something breaks, we call the professional. Like if the car breaks, you call the mechanic. If the kid gets sick, you call the doctor. If the shower won't turn off, you call the preacher. I'm just kidding, don't call me, all right? Call a plumber, right? And, and we'll think, okay, if, if that's how society works, if somebody needs a spiritual thing, then we call the professional. But here's what I know to be true, and more than likely you know this to be true as well, that God has created all people, and he has, he's sovereignly strategically wove you together and he, he, he has a plan for your life. Like God doesn't just want you to kind of be remote in, in some sort of distant relationship with him. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and then he wants to deploy you and he wants to help you accomplish the mission of God. That God has a plan for your life. And he doesn't want you to abdicate your ministry to some professional in the name of, well, that person's been to seminary or they've been trained or, or they're the professional and my role is just to go to my job, make money, and then, I'll, and then I'll put money in the bucket or whatever it is or make the contribution online and, and, then, and, and I, that's what we pay the preacher for. Surely God doesn't expect me to do ministry. That's what we pay the preacher for. And then we read the Bible and and we find out in the scriptures that the men and women that started the ancient church, they weren't professionals. They weren't professional Christians. They were just normal guys and normal girls that were impacted by Jesus and then they understood that they had gifts that were meant to be given or meant to be used to build up the kingdom of God. We're in this series called The Church where we're looking at our ancient past in order to determine the future of the church and 
Again, the church, it wasn't built by professionals. The church was built by men and women who played their part to help the household of God to flourish. They were DIY Christians. They did it themselves. And this morning, if you're taking notes, I've titled the message, The Church of Ministry in an Age of Professionalism. And I want to allow God's word just to let us see three things that we should be cautioned about. Three things that will limit the future church. One is selfishness, one is uniformity, and the last is stagnation. Now, there's no doubt that the early church, the ancient church, they were plagued with similar problems. Maybe it wasn't abdicating their ministry to the professionals, but they were, there was a lot of confusion. They're like, okay, God has changed my life, and, then, and he's given me gifts. What are, what are these gifts? Like, how do they play out in, in the kingdom of God and also in, in my real job? And like, how, do, how does all of this work? And so... These ancient Christians, they were really establishing what church should look like, and they were gaining clarity on how God wanted to use them. And so Paul, he's written over half the New Testament, and he's writing to this group of Christians in Rome, and he's trying to help them understand, like, this is what God's doing. This is the mission of God. He's building his church, and his church is not a building. It's a group of people, and he's releasing these people to be deployed to use their gifts to advance the kingdom of God. And we drop in on Romans in the 12th chapter in the first verse, and here's what Paul says. He says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, this word beseech isn't a word that we use a whole lot. Some of your translations say, I urge you. And that's kind of the, the language here. It's like Paul, he's, he's written so much already in Romans, and it's almost like he's grabbing the shoulders of the audience. He's like, there's urgency. You've got to get this. And I think that Paul, like if he was here, he'd be like, man, if you think that Christianity is just about getting your sins forgiven the end, oh, you're missing out. That Jesus came to start a movement called the church. He came to, to launch a mission called the, the, the church. He came to start a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And forgiveness is a part of that, but forgiveness and salvation is not the end of Christianity. It's the beginning, y'all. And Paul, he's like, you've got to get this. I beseech you. I urge you. And then he gives us this word. He says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, if you're new to the Bible, therefore is, is really an important word for us to point back to the Bible. A lot of you probably heard this before. But if you're new to the Bible, like, I just encourage you to circle the word therefore and to draw an arrow that's pointing back to chapter 11 and so on. And, and, and I don't know if you've learned this or not, but, but I mean, it's great if you kind of annotate in your Bible. I mean, studies have shown us that if you circle things and underline things in your Bible, you're more likely to go to heaven. It's true. It's true. I'm just kidding. No, that won't help you. Jesus will help you, but it'll help you learn the Bible better. And so, um, so you can circle the word therefore, point back to Romans 11, and really all that Paul has already said in Romans 1 through 11, he's saying, in light of all of this, and, and if you don't know the book of Romans, it's a fascinating read. And there's so many things that Paul uncovers, but some of the big things are like, we are in desperate need of a Savior. Like, we are sinful to the core. And that God, he sent his son Jesus. And while we were rebels against God, while we were hating God, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that we could be justified or have right standing before God in, in the way that we put our faith in Christ. So that when God looks at us, he even sees the righteousness of Jesus. That it's the book of Romans that talks about the principles of how we can live a victorious life. That we don't have to be plagued by our sin forever that we can live the resurrected life that we can walk in the power of the spirit of God and Paul he's saying like when you when you understand that J Jesus has changed your life and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit you've you got to play your part and that's the therefore this is some of the things he's saying in light of all that I urge you and, and he goes on and gives a little bit more he says this I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God such an important idea important concept 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul, he's speaking to people that are claiming to follow Christ. So if you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. You don't have to believe in order to belong here, okay? You can come and explore the, came, the claims of Christ. We're not going to kick you out, okay? And, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to continue to explore the life of Jesus, what he's done for mankind, and that sort of thing. And that this morning's message is really what the Christian should be about. If you're here and you claim to follow Christ, this is who Paul is speaking to. He, he's saying that, that, that you, if you've signed up to follow Jesus, then what I'm about to say in this letter is for you. And if you're here and you're a Christian, what you're saying is that when, when I read the word of God and my life is not in alignment with the word of God, I will change. Because Jesus isn't just my savior, he's my Lord. And when the Lord says to do something, we, his subjects, we follow him. That we are called to be obedient. That this is love for God, First John says. That we obey God's commands and that they're not a burden to us. And so when you, when you claim to follow Christ, you simply are saying, like, in light of the mercy of God, that he's forgiven me, that he's given me new life, that he, he paid the bill that my sin accrued, the mercy of God, that I, I stood guilty, condemned by the jury, by the judge, but his mercy came in, and he made a way where there was no way. In light of that mercy, this is your fitting response, that you live a life of sacrifice. And so Paul, he, he extends this idea a little bit further in verse two, and he says, and, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying that the world's gonna tell you one thing. There's some things that you, taught, you were taught by your family of origin. There's some things that you were taught by your country of origin or by your culture of origin, and there's gonna be some things that the world has taught you that aren't gonna be in alignment with scripture. And you, you don't need to be conformed to those things, but you need to be renewed in your mind. You have to think differently. He says that you may prove what is the, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, Paul, he's saying that when your life has been changed by Jesus, then you think differently and you live differently. Now, a lot of you, you've heard these two verses before. These verses will preach like we could have church, y'all, I'm telling you. And, and like you could, t- you could go a hundred different directions from these two verses. You could talk about the mercy of God, and you could talk about the living sacrifice, go Old Testament, go through the sacrificial system and the great mercy of God. You could talk about the conforming patterns that we have to this world and how we need to be transformed and all of the biology and science that goes into the neuroplasticity and changing the way that we think. You could, you could go a hundred different directions, but this morning... We're just going to see how these principles play out in the context that Paul wrote them. We're simply going to follow the Bible this morning. And we're going to continue on in verse 3, and here's what Paul says. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, But all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Paul, he's saying, like, like when your life has been changed in light of the mercy of God and you being a living sacrifice, it leads you to serve God as a part of his body. But he gives us this caution here in verse 3, and he says there's this thing that could really allow us or cause us to to miss our purpose. There's this thing that we are all guilty of, that if we give in to this thing, it will cause problems in the household of God. That the thing that Paul warns us against is not thinking too highly of ourselves or, as we know, it is selfishness. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Selfishness. Paul's warning us to not think too highly of ourselves when it comes to getting involved in the body. 
I think one of the main ways that we fail to serve our purpose in the household of God is by being selfish. Well, I'm above that, or I'm not good at that, or whatever it is. We just, we think about ourselves too much. Like, why do you think God has given you the gifts he's given you? Why do you think, like, God gave you the, the, uh, the brain he gave you? Why did he give you the personality he gave you? Why did he give you the gifts, the, the ability to speak in such a way where people just are like, that's a good idea, let's go with him. You know, or why did they give you the, the ability just to sit and have a heart that's the size of Texas where you can just kind of empathize and, and, and co- console people? Why do you think God's given you the, the financial resources he's given some of y'all? Why, why do you think God has given you uh, the, the, the abilities and, and, and the brain to be able to like memorize parts of the Bible? Like Pastor Phil, I was asking him, how do you memorize scripture? He's like, well, you just read it. I was like, that's a gift, bro. Like, like that, that's not a good plan, right? I'm like, you got a photographic memory, you know, and yeah, I think photogenic. Anyway, and so photographic memory, and he's like, no, I don't have a photographic memory. I'm like, okay, then how do you memorize scripture? He's like, you just read it, and then you remember it. I'm like, yeah, that's a gift, man. Like, I got note cards and flash cards and songs and like little tippos things. I'm trying to work on this thing. You just read it, you know? <laughs> Anyway, and so why did God give him that brain? Why did God give you the gifts that you've been given? He gave them to you so that you would build his kingdom. So whose kingdom are you building? God has given you all the things that he's given you. He's given you all the abilities he's given you so that you would use those gifts to advance his mission. Uh, yesterday was Pastor Phil's birthday. He turned 29 again. And, um, and so we, we got together, we were celebrating, and, and I want you to imagine, I was like, oh, I got a great idea. Yeah, Pastor Phil, about to blow your mind. I got the gift of a lifetime, you know, and Pastor Phil hadn't said anything about this, but imagine like he was, you know, he was talking about uh, like a truck, you know, and, and I was like, oh, yes, I, I, Pastor Phil, I know it's your birthday weekend. Won't you meet me at dinner with the pastors in Lee Summit? I've got a gift for you. And I like, I like call somebody that works at a dealership, and I'm like, hey, I want the truck. And they're like, the truck? I'm like, oh, yeah, like the six-figure truck, like the really expensive one. And they're like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for it? I'm like, the church is going to give money on Sunday. I'm just going to take a little bit of the money from the church, and then I'm going to use it to go do what I think I want to do with this. And I'm going to buy this truck. It's going to be amazing. And imagine, like, I call Branch, Stephen Branch at the Independence Campus. I call C. Brown at the Blue Springs Campus. I call Kyle Worsham, online campus. And, and I get Debbie, the, one that, the lady that did the MC today, and I'm like, hey, guys, I really need you to, like, give them the juice. And, like, we need a gift, you know. And then they take all the money, and I go back there, and I'm like, like the Grinch, you know. And, and I just pull some of the money out, go to the dealership, buy the truck. And like I show up and Pastor Phil, you know, Bo on this beautiful truck. And I'm like, happy birthday. And he's like, oh, wow, thanks. How did you pay for this? I'm like, well, I just took some money from the offering. He'd be like, you did what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, the church gave. I thought I could just take the gift that the church gave and use it for what I thought would be good. He'd be like, well, okay, you're fired. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to return this truck. And the reason why he would do that is because he understands that the reason why people contribute to our church is so that they can advance the mission of God, not so that somebody can go take money and then go buy what they want to buy with it. Yeah, yeah, we could clap, but I'm coming for you. Hang on. Here's the point. You would be appalled, rightfully so, because you're like, that's not why we gave. We brought our gifts underneath the impression that, that they would be used to build the kingdom of God. We, we, we gave our gifts to advance the mission of God. Why would you use that on something else? I wonder if the Holy Spirit ever feels that way about you or about me. 
Yeah, sometimes you got to say ouch instead of amen, right? There's been times in my life, and I'm guilty as charged, just like everybody else, where I think the Holy Spirit's like, hey, bro, why are you using that gift for that? Like, I, I, gave, I gave you that gift. Why are you using it for your selfish gain? I gave you that gift. Why are you using that to build something other than my kingdom? Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying that everyone needs to build the church and, the, and that's it, all right? Like, you can have successful business. You can be an influencer. You can, you can use the gifts God's given you to build a life. But anytime that supersedes the mission of God, I think we're out of alignment. Whose kingdom are you building? And God would say, I've given you the things I've given you, and I've given you the gifts I've given you so that you can build my kingdom. Don't let selfishness be the enemy of God using you. We pick up in verse 4, and here's what it says. It says, for we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That Paul, what he's doing, this is a, a familiar metaphor. He's likening the church to a body. He's saying just like a body has various parts, it's still one body. He's saying likewise, the church, it has various parts, but it's still meant to be unified. That the church should be diversified, yet unified and a threat to the church is when the church is marked by uniformity. Point number two, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. Uniformity. Uniform, you know what uniformity is. It's when everyone looks the same and has the same giftings and acts the same. And what will happen in the church is that you'll have churches that are kind of marked by the same gifting. And so you'll, you'll hear people say, what kind of church? Well, that's a preaching church. And you'll go there and like everybody's fired up about the sermon. They got journals out, you know, just, just taking notes. And like during the song part, they're like, Okay, all right, we're done. Let's sermon time. They're buckling up, like hit us with the truth, you know, and they're crunching podcasts throughout the week, and they're just, oh, oh, just eating the Bible, right? Love the sermon. And you have other churches, like, we love mercy. And, like, they've got all of these different programs of people that can help meet their needs, and, like, you come there, and it's just like, you just feel loved. You feel taken care of. It's awesome. You have other churches, it's like, well, that's a, that's a singing church. You go there, it's, it's song after song after song. They're just basking in the presence of God, so to speak, and then a TED Talk, and then we out. And we have churches that are marked by the, the gathering of different giftings. But Paul's saying that this should not be, that the church is meant to have diversity. It's, meant, it's not meant to be marked by uniformity. It's meant to have diversity, that we are supposed to come under one roof, so to speak, one household in one body, and we're meant to have diversity but unity. So I think that what will happen is, is the reason why churches will kind of drift towards homogeny or sameness or uniformity is because we, we kind of, we'll, we'll kind of throw rocks at other people's gifting. Like, that's not how you should have handled that. That's not the right way to handle that. And so let me kind of give you one scenario and four different responses, and we'll see which one's the best response. Imagine somebody comes to the church today and they have need, and, and, you, and you see the first response is somebody's like, hey, what's your name? And they start, like, well, what's your needs? I'm like, man, I'm just hungry. And so they go to the cafe, and they get one of those burritos. If you hadn't had a burrito from the cafe, come on now, somebody. At least Summit, the burrito, cafe, Matt Hitson, come on. Anyway, so they go get the burrito, and they're like, all right, here, eat this, and, and let's set up some time for the, for the food pantry at one of the campuses, and we're going to get you some groceries. And, and they, they meet their physical need. That's how they responded. Next scenario, somebody says, well, what's going on? What's your name? And, and they, they realize that they're lonely, and they're like, hey, we're, we're going to have this party today. We're going to watch the Chiefs win. Yeah. I'm a little divided because I'm from Texas. 
And, you know, they're playing God's team. But, uh, <laughs> but the way I reconcile it is Mahomes is from Texas, and so I'm going I'm to go with the Chiefs. All right, so anyway, we're going to watch the Chiefs. We're going to have people over. It's going to be awesome. And, in fact, uh, why, don't you just, why don't you move in with us for a short time? Because one of, our, um, one of our kids is in college, and the basement's open, and so why don't you just, and they meet this relational need. Okay, next person, you have the first person that's like, all right, they're going to meet the physical need. The second person meets the relational need. The third person, hey, what's your name? And they begin to unpack what their name is. How did you get here? What's going on? They start asking like really, really good questions, and like they start crying. You see this. They're starting to cry, and they just sit with this person, and they begin to ask them strategic questions, and over the span of about 60 minutes, they're praying for this person. The person gets up, and this person has used their gift to meet the mental health need of this individual and counsel them. So the first person met a physical need, the second person met a relational need, the third person met a mental health need, the fourth person goes to this individual and says, hey, what's your name? Exchange the names, and they said, do you have a faith? And they begin to share the gospel with them. Now, which person did the best job? They all did. Which one is God more glorified in? Which one used their gift better than the other. And what will happen is that the person that shared their faith first will criticize the person that went and got a burrito first. Or the person that got a burrito first will criticize the person that just sat with them and asked them questions and prayed with them. The person that sat with them and asked them questions and prayed with them will criticize the person. You're just gonna invite them to a party? And met the relational need. And we have this tendency to drift towards uniformity and criticize the way people are gifted in their first response to a scenario. Now, hear me clearly, if you're the burrito person and you're meeting the physical need, you should still get to the gospel. But that may not be your first gifting. And if you're sharing the gospel and that's your first way to respond, you should still get to the burrito, all right? But when we come into one household, there's a diversity of gifts, and listen, this is a good thing, that God has given you a gift and he celebrates the diversity when it's unified. And there are things that I can do better than you and there are things that you can do better than me and vice versa all around this space. And God has called us to use our gifts. Uh, Paul, he goes on in verse six and here's what he says. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, I love this, let us use them. That the ancient church, it was marked by diversity, and the future of our church is dependent upon diversity of gifts being deployed for the glory of God. Like you could just circle that phrase, let us use them. And then he goes on and gives a list of different gifts that people have that they use. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy is foretelling and foretelling, it's, it's really preaching the word of God in a way that cuts through the culture. Uh, verse 7, he says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Ministry in the Bible is kind of like serving. It's, it's you, you helping rock babies or you helping create environments so that gospel conversations can flourish. He says, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. Uh, exhortation is like a strong warning. It's like, hey, you, you, need to, you need to heed these words. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy 
with cheerfulness. Now, I don't think this list is an exhaustive list. So if you're looking at it going, okay, which one am I? Is this the gifts and that's it? I don't think it's an exhaustive list because there's other parts of the scriptures where we see other things that didn't make this list that are considered gifts. And, and here's the point that Paul's trying to make. Whatever your gift is, use it. You've been given a gift. If you know Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you at least one gift, all right? And you need to be faithful to use the gift. Paul says it clearly, let us use them. I think one of the greatest threats facing the modern church is that we've abdicated our ministry to the professionals and it's caused us to be marked by stagnation in our ministry. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down, stagnant. Stagnant. That Paul's saying that if you're stagnant with your gift, you're not following Jesus the way that he designed you to follow him. Jesus changed your life so that you could be released on mission. Again, Christianity is not just about forgiveness, it's also about a future. That every salvation comes prepackaged with pardon from your sin and a purpose. Every salvation comes prepackaged with forgiveness and a future. That Jesus came saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe that salvation, again, is just the starting line. And God wants to use every one of you to accomplish his mission. But many of us, man, we're just, we're, we're here and maybe, maybe you're just bored. Like, you ever been bored at church? Like, some of y'all sleeping right now. Go ahead and wake them up, give them an elbow, tune back in online, all right? I've slept through a mini sermon. I get it. Sometimes the reason why I slept so much in sermons is because I was stagnant in my faith. And I didn't really see how this truth really applied to the ministry God had called me to. Like, and, and I had like this mentality, like I knew I was a part of the body of Christ, but I just kind of felt like the appendix. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what does that do exactly, you know? I didn't know much about the appendix. I just thought it was a part of a book until I was about 15, and, uh, and I got sick. I was visiting my grandmother out in the country, and, and my stomach started hurting, and they took me in the hospital, and they rubbed dirt on it and sent me home. Um, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. Um, <clears throat> but it's country. And so um, <laughs> they said, oh, your appendix is rupturing. I was like, Okay. What does that mean? Like, well, you're gonna die if we don't do something. I was like, okay, let's do something. So they cut me open, they pulled out my appendix, and I started learning about this, this organ that's in our body. And, and I'm like, well, what, what does this mean? Like, am I, gonna, am I gonna be, like, do I get handicapped? What is it? Am I disabled? What is this? They're like, really? No, you're, we don't know why we have it. And it's just kind of hanging out on part of your intestine, but if it ruptures, it's bad. And I think that that's how some people feel when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ. Like, I just kind of feel like I'm here, but I really don't know my purpose, and I'm just kind of hanging on. And, and for me, when I was like that, what happened is I started getting sour in my faith. And I started getting cynical, and I started criticizing. Like, oh, well, that, that song didn't do it for me. Oh, the, the, the lights were too much, the lights were too little. It was too warm in there, it was too cold in there, it was too loud, it was not loud enough. Preaching was too long, it was too short, whatever. And I just kind of sat there as a consumer and as a cynic and started getting critical because I wasn't in the game. And I was stagnant in my gift. And here's what I know to be true. Like for me, like that was, that was souring and that was becoming toxic in the body of Christ. And many of you, you may feel like an appendix and you're just kind of sitting there, not really doing a whole lot. And I would caution you that you're on the verge of cynicism and becoming sour which can be incredibly toxic to the household of God. So don't be stagnant. 
the word of God says, let us use our gifts. How are you using your gift? What does it look like for you to use the gifts that God's given you to build up the kingdom of God? For some of you, you don't have a clear answer to that. And we as a church, man, we want to equip you to use your gifts. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know. I, I, want, I want to start deploying my gifts for the glory of God. You can go to this website right here, livingproof.co slash serve. Or I don't know if y'all know what this is. This is a QR code. And so I don't know if y'all been to a restaurant lately. Like we went out to eat the other day and I was like, hey, where are the menus? And they're like, there's a, there's a little posted stamp on the table. You know, I'm like, what do we do with this? I need a menu, you know. And they're like, well, you know. And so you scan this with the camera on your phone. And a link will pop up. It's amazing. It's like magic. And, uh, and you can click that link or you can just pump, pump it in here. If you're watching online, then you probably have more luck instead of trying to scan your phone. Anyway, so uh, you can go to this website. And the website exists to begin a process to help you discover your gifts so that you can develop your gifts and then deploy your gifts. That, that we want to come alongside of you and equip you to do this. And we want to find ministries that, that, that will match your gifting so that you can begin to build the kingdom of God. And many of you, that means that you're going to get involved in serving here at Abundant Life. Uh, others of you, that means that you're going to use your gifts and you're going to build ministries that, that we're going to partner with or that we've already partnered with at Abundant Life. The point is, God has given you a gift. Use it. Maybe you're here watching online right now and you're, like, you're literally in your living room, just you and your family or just you, and, and you're like, okay, I, I'm not in the KC area. What does that look like? Well, we've started this new thing called an online campus in which we've had several families start doing a thing that we just call church house. And church house is, is where people are leveraging their house to be the church. But the church is a gathering of people. And, and maybe you're watching this right now and you're thinking, man, how could God ever use the resources that he's given me and the gifts that he's given me? And I would say, man, God wants to use you. And you can be a part of this thing called church house. And even, even this morning, Pastor Phil and, and Pastor Kyle, our online campus pastor, uh, they drove down to Mexico, Missouri to see a church house live. And I want you all to watch this video real quick. Well, hey, Abundant Life, this is Pastor Kyle Worsham. I am the online campus pastor, and I'm here with Pastor Phil. We're actually on our way to Mexico, Missouri to actually gather and go to service with uh, an Abundant Life church house. Now, Pastor Phil, uh, these people are meeting in their houses across the world. This is just one of them we're going to. What do you think about people making church houses wherever they are a part of Abundant Life? I think it is one of the most exciting moves of God in a long, long time. Something brand new God is doing, at least uh, in 21st century American Christianity, but it's actually not new at all in the scope of church history. And so we're doing this series called The Church, An Ancient Future learning from the past in the ancient church to navigate our future as the modern church. You guys, I'm telling you, this is so exciting in the modern age of technology to be able to gather as a member of a local body wherever you are in the country, even hundreds of miles away. So this is the problem though for a lot of people. We've had the wrong paradigm of church in Western civilization for a long, long time. The truth is the word church doesn't even appear in scripture, it's nowhere in the New Testament, the first time it's ever seen in the English translation, Jesus said in Matthew 16 that upon this rock, that was himself, he'd build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail. Now check this out. When Jesus said those words, his followers did not hear the word church. They heard the word ecclesia, the Greek word. It means called out assembly. It's used over 115 times in the New Testament, all but three times it's translated as 
church. So where did the word church come from if it's actually nowhere in the Greek translation? Well, actually it began, I think, when you look at a little bit of the, the history of this word and how it found its way into what is churchianity uh, as opposed to Christianity. It was uh, the year 1382, a very heroic man of the faith by the name of John Wycliffe translated for the first time the Bible into the English language. He was a part of the Roman Catholic clergy. Now at that time, he didn't have access to the Greek manuscripts. He translated the Bible from the Latin into English. Because he didn't have access to the Greek manuscripts, he was using the Latin Vulgate. Uh, he used the word he had access to at the time, which at the time was an old English word with Germanic roots, and it was Kirch or Kirk. And so if you're named Kirk, you're literally named church because that was the old English word from which we get the word church today, Kirk. So he translates in Matthew 16 those words of Jesus, ecclesia, that he built his called out assembly, his ecclesia. He translates that using this old English word that he was familiar with, meaning a assembly of religious people, let's say. He translates it as church. Now, years and years later, another very heroic man of the faith by the name of William Tyndale in 1526, he translates the English Bible, but he had access to the Greek translations. So in his translation, he translates ecclesia as congregation, which is the more accurate translation. But here's what happened. Even today, with our modern English translations, the word church still prevails. It's translated from ecclesia, called out assembly. The problem is that church carries with it this false paradigm of a building, a specific location and a specific building, usually with a stained glass and steeple. So consequently, our thought toward church is, well, it's a specific location. It's a specific building. Uh, and so we think in terms of going to church instead of the fact that we are the church. That's right. So the church is wherever the body of Christ assembles. Right now, we're going to an assembly of abundant life in Mexico, Missouri. It's about two and a half hours from Kansas City area. There's an assembly of abundant life meeting right now up in the Cedar Falls area of Iowa, Columbia, Tennessee, Rockwall, Texas. With the age of modern technology, we're now able to assemble in multiple locations, even as we are right now in the Kansas City area, in Lee Summit, in Blue Springs, in Independence, and very soon next year, the crossroads of Kansas City. And this is what I want you to see. It just as much counts as a church gathering. I whether it's in your home, whether it's in a small conference center, where we're going, I think, in Mexico, Missouri, uh, with this little church house led by uh, Randy Gooch, whether it's in a renovated barn of the Price family up in the Cedar Falls area, the way we think about church moving forward has to begin to change. And friends, this is why I'm so excited. We are now able to go farther, faster than ever historically. This is how the early church multiplied so quickly throughout the known world. It's not that they forsook the corporate gathering, the larger gathering. They were doing that even in secrecy when it was illegal. But they were able to move farther, faster, multiplying because they weren't dependent on simply building buildings and putting a sign out front that said church with its times. Maybe you're watching from somewhere else in the world, hundreds of miles from the Kansas City area, 
you have a chance to be a part of the local body of Christ, the assembly, not a building, but a body of abundant life. And Kyle Worsham, our online campus pastor, is here to equip you and empower you and show you how. Guys, I love you a whole bunch. I'm going to send it back to Chad. I love what Pastor Phil and, and Pastor Kyle Worsham are doing, and, and I just love that, that there's this clear, tangible thing that we see in the scriptures where Jesus is saying, man, I, I'm going to build this thing called the church. And, and again, the church is it's not brick and mortar, it's people. And Pastor Phil, he mentioned a couple of individuals throughout church history that really were impactful in the way that they understood the, the, the body of Christ, one was a guy named John Wycliffe, and historians call Wycliffe the morning star of the Reformation. The Reformation was this thing that took place in the 16th century where, uh, where the church really needed to be reformed and changed. And one of the biggest things that happened was that the Word of God was put back in the hands of the people of God. That Pastor Phil mentioned another guy named William Tyndale, and, and Tyndale, he's really one of the big reasons why we have the copy, a copy of God's Word in our own language. He gave his life to translate the Bible into English. And he had this vision. He said that I envisioned the day where the plowboy will know the Word of God like the priest. And that they wanted to reform the church to put the Word of God back into the hands of the people of God. And I'm here to tell you that we need another reformation where we put not just the word of God in the hands of the people of God, but the work of God back into the hands of the people of God. In this age of professionalism where we see seminary graduates and professional Christians and we think, okay, God uses them, but he can't use me. You are the church. God wants to use you. That he's given you gifts that you are called to discover, to develop, and then to deploy. We're about to sing this song and the, the hook of the song or the chorus of the song is this anthem that just says, God, build your church, build your church. And then it turns and says, we are your church. And ministry is the birthright of the believer. That God, he's, he's shaped you and designed you and gifted you so that you would serve in ministry. And I would contend that you would, you'll never experience the fullness and the glory of Christ if you fail to walk in the calling that God has called you to walk in and to use the gifts that he's given you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.